Hello, I'm uh, Mark Manns and I'm here with uh, Nolba Anderson at the QSO VSO 50th anniversary event at UBC. Thank you for coming here, Nolba, and, and talking to us. Thanks for hosting us. Um, so, Nova, uh, to start off, just to tell us uh, a little bit about your involvement with QSO VSO, where you went, when you went there, what you did. Well, I, I squeaked onto the QSO list, to be honest. Okay. Um, I was in Indonesia for a year working on community forestry issues through a program that was organized largely by uh, the Silver Forest Foundation in, in Canada. But CUSO acted as our sort of our host umbrella once we got there. So although most of the CUSO place people that we uh, were brought into the field of were there for two or three years, we were there for a year and uh, kind of the, the little kids of of CUSO Indonesia. When were you there? I was there in 2000 to 2001, so I went immediately after graduating from undergraduate. And my, my real interest at the time in my undergraduate work and in my activism work was community forestry and how to bring the control of local lands back into the hands of local people if they showed capacity and interest and willingness to do so. Um, and my interest was pr primarily in British Columbia here in Canada, but wanted some, some international context for that work. Had lived and studied and worked in uh, Latin America a little bit before and just didn't know anything about Asia. So I worked with an organization in Indonesia called LATIN, which was the International Institute for Community Forestry, essentially, Lembaga Alam Tropica in Indonesia. And they worked with organizations or, or communities around the country who were trying to deal with the decentralization of, of power of, from the federal government to local municipalities or forest resources and their complete inability uh, to know how to deal with that. There was no training that went along with that decentralization. So uh, what I what little I was able to contribute was just a bit of an international context. The organization I worked with was, was fantastic and did wonderful work in, in designing university curriculum and um, and getting international grants to support their work, etc. Sorry, so, so at that time when you were there, mm -hmm. you were talking about this decentralization of mm -hmm. power. Mm -hmm. um, the land, the forests uh, owned by the government, yeah, federal government. Yeah, I mean this was essentially essentially crown that had been essentially federal land. I mean, Indonesia, there's 300 languages spoken in Indonesia, and it's a country only by way of military dictatorship. It, there's so many islands scattered around, and so technically all the land that wasn't quote-unquote private was, was federal. And so there was a, there was a process that was happening um, just as I was there about decentralization of that um, down to the municipal level, but very little empowerment or toolkits to go along with that. Right, so what kind of capacity did municipalities in Indonesia have for very little, very little. And so mostly the organization I worked with was working with small communities that had traditionally had access and resource rights, however formally or informally, to, to that land that we're trying to um, do responsible stewardship. But so sort of incorporating traditional values and traditional land management rights into a sort of... Yeah. But really more than anything, my role was, was sharing my own 
fun stories with the people in the organization that I worked with. Within a year, you can't possibly learn a language, understand a political context, figure out how you might contribute, and then effectively contribute. I mean, at the end of the year, you can maybe get to somewhat learn the language and somewhat figure out what the heck the political structure is, but not get to the place of actually being able to make a meaningful impact. So what I really came to believe is that the, it was the second or third year I'd spent abroad at that point was that the, the really the most profound thing I could offer abroad was my friendship or my really personal stories sometimes about my work but very often just about where I grew up and my culture and my own personal view on the world and rather than technical expertise and some context about living in a global global world and what I really struggled with was how do you possibly maintain those kind of re relationships and friendships when you return home? And, and I've, I've maintained a couple, but for the most part, those were relationships not with the people that I worked with, but people that I met in the villages um, that were somehow peripherally associated to the organization I worked with. Um, but really the most profound thing that I wanted to share was that my time abroad Locally, profoundly solidified my desire to be back home. When their cows reach the end of their lives, they'll sell them to Muslims, and the Muslims, of course, can slaughter the cows. The learning curve that is required to really be effective somewhere else, for me, now there are, there are expats that work, dedicate their whole life abroad, and I have huge respect for them. But for me, the time that would have taken to really figure out how to best contribute was so mammoth compared to being able to come home and step right back into something. And I, I really struggled with potentially staying on with QSO and doing a full placement for two or three years there. And ultimately wanted to be in the place that I was from. And the few times that I've traveled abroad since then, I feel profoundly privileged to be able to step into somebody else's world. But it's so not mine. Right. And they will dedicate their life to working for their home. Right. And I won't dedicate my life to working for their home. I will do that for my home only, exclusively, full stop. And I'm delighted to be in a world where we can share those stories and share that passion, but it is not my place to work for somebody else's thing. I can find ways of supporting it, but I didn't really feel like it was my place to direct anything in somebody else's home. So I came back and worked with a non-profit organization here in, in British Columbia called the Dogwood Initiative. And and what do they do? What does the well, they, they did all kinds of things at the time. What I pitched to them was wanting to, to do community forestry work here back at home. So I traveled the province learning from existing community forest organizations and their stories of success and failure. What were the keys to success? What were their... Um, main stumbling blocks, all those sorts of things. Um, compiling those into a you know a Vanity Press published book that we that we then took on the road again to community forest wannabes, if you will. And through all of that, realized that organize the communities that were grappling with this here in the early 2000s weren't talking to each other at all. So helped to establish, I mean, one of many, many people, but helped to establish the, uh, the BC Community Forest Association. But in all of my travels around BC even, which is home, I realized that my own community of Cortez Island 
was had more going for it than just about anywhere else. We had a um, we had a very good relationship at the time with the First Nation people. We had unallocated crown land. We had an incredible sense of community engagement and sophistication. So I went home, and I've been home for the last seven, eight years, uh, very much informed by my my work abroad with CUSO, uh, but propelled to work in my own place, and I'm yeah. currently in locally elected politics and working for the yeah. local organization that does community forestry on the island. And, um, <laughs> Sorry, where are you from on the island? Cortez Island. Cortez island. So it's a small Gulf island, kind of right. between Powell River and Campbell River, yeah. halfway up Vancouver Island. And we've been trying to get a community forest for a very long time there and still working on it. The land's still unallocated. But um, was compelled to join local politics, largely because of that belief of bringing decision-making home wherever possible and localizing control and resources and decisions at, at every reasonable scale. Right. And although it is informed by an international awareness, I feel really lucky to be from a place. Very less and less are people do people identify with the place that they're raised, especially as we're becoming more urbanized and more mobile. Our sense of belonging is is eroding, and I think that that is probably the biggest concern that I have for the globe as we disassociate from sense of place, mm -hmm. from sense of belonging to land mm -hmm. and to a network of people that you know for your whole life. Right. On Cortez, I, the people that live there I've known since the beginning of memory and I will see them die. Right. And there, so it's a very close-knit community. There's a thousand people year-round and there were 500 when I was little. and. Right. Um, and I will die there. I may well live other places and maybe I'll go abroad again in some capacity, but that will always be home. And I, because it is so rare these days, I think that that's all the more important to, to sit in and communicate about and inspire people to find a place and stay put. I mean, if you talk about climate change, one thing you can best do is don't move. Don't move you and don't move your stuff. Grow your food and don't go anywhere. I mean, through the internet, we can communicate our stories, which are, which is really the most important, <laughs> valuable information is, is our expertise, our, our knowledge, our, okay. our stories, um, rather than necessarily our bodies. So, I guess what I what I hear you saying is, you said you, your reason you came back is you felt you couldn't give as much as maybe you had wanted to, you didn't feel maybe mm -hmm. qualified to give mm -hmm. as much, but it, it seems to me like the message you're sending is um, that you could give to those communities what you've just said, that sense of community, sense of place and, and in Well, they have, it, they have it way more than we do here. That is something that the global south does far better than we do right. because they, they're not as mobile. Right. They have still, I mean, in, how can you generalize for the globe? But for the most part, people who live in the place that their fathers and forefathers lived have that kind of connection to place that is, is quickly eroding in the north. Um, so I, I don't know that that's a story that I need to uh, 
impress upon them, but perhaps to have greater gratitude for what they do have and, and less aspire to an American dream that has no bottom to it, that but, is entirely uh, falsely predicated. But it might, it might be something uh, worthwhile coming from you, for example. A lot of people in the South would view um, the Western development model as something to aspire to. So, Absolutely. So if you, people or people like you, Absolutely. could communicate that community is, is uh, what you need to focus on. Yeah. It, it could be very, very powerful. Thing. One of the two or three people that I've maintained contact with from Indonesia was a a fellow who's probably not more than 24 now that I met when he was in high school there. And he just had a sense of sparkle and presence in life that I didn't see in many people. He was so keen, such a sponge, and I was just so drawn to that. We didn't know each other very long, but we, he maintained contact. Very few people actually maintain contact over, over the years. And every, you know, even maybe only once a year, I'd get an email from him, hey, how's it going, you know? And he had this, he, he wanted to go back home and actually be a politician, which is interesting, because I thought, oh, God, you know, that's a complete waste of time, you know, totally corrupt and useless. Um, so he wanted to serve his people profoundly, but he wanted to get an education abroad and, and travel abroad. And um, So ultimately, I said that I would sponsor him to do that if that's what he wanted to do. And he found his way on to working onto a cruise ship, and he thought that that was just the absolute, like, pinnacle of... Yeah. Traveling the world on a boat, you know? And I, I wrote to him before he left and I said, you know, I'm not trying to discourage you from going, but I've not been on a cruise ship, but based on what I understand, you're stepping into the most opulent, most disconnected, most awful version of my society. Please don't judge my life by what you're about to view. And we communicated while he was on the cruise ship for a year and a half, leaving his child and wife at home, because this was the dream. And he said it was a, a floating jail. They held his passport. He couldn't get I said, like, get off in Toronto. I'll come get you, you know? He can't do that. Um, and it, it was hideous. He wasn't allowed to speak with the guests. There were hardly, you know, any other Indonesians to converse with. He worked his butt off. Um, and, and that was, I think, in, in a really visceral way, so profoundly what the Global South needs to get, is that what they have is so valuable, and the vision that they aspire to is, is so, so bottomless. Um, but good point. I appreciate that that that, com that that message is something that could actually be received. Yeah, I think that's something that, I mean, because there people from the, the South might be looking for something, but, you know, that they have. They already have it right there, and it just needs you know, maybe a little tweaking, a little bit of but who, who am I to say that your little mud hut and your lack of literacy and your ill health in your community is what you should be grateful for when I have an education system and a healthcare system and live on one of the most wealthy places on earth that I could go to the beach and live off clams forever? Like, there's so much hypocrisy in that as well. Because I, I was born into the most blessed place on the planet. But I mean, what what you need to to show them is that you know maybe what I have is not exactly what you need. Right. right? But the disenfranchising yourself from your sense of belonging and moving abroad is not necessarily a higher way of being. For sure. Sure. For sure.
the message it seems the message could still be no exactly exactly that's the message that um, just to finish us off then um, if you uh, had something to say to QSOVIUS uh, or applicants that are ready to go overseas what would it be what would you say what would you tell people Live in profound oh, gratitude a, um, for what you have, say, for the privilege of stepping into someone else's say, world. Remember the context from which you come and return to it. Whether you dedicate your life abroad or home, live in profound gratitude. Some really okay. interesting well said, Nilda. Thank you very much. And, uh, Thank you. Uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of the 50th anniversary event. It's a delight to be amongst people who um, have dedicated their lives in various ways to volunteerism and trying to make the world a better place, however yes, however they try to do that. Exactly. You know? exactly. Cheers. Thank Thanks, you, Mark. Nilda.